This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. All these changes, all that they've done is made uh, teams sign players to contracts that end up being bad contracts. We're no closer to parity. And now when teams buy out players who have bad contracts and those uh, players then sign for somebody else, now all of a sudden that's a problem. It's like we haven't fixed the initial problem of parity and we've made it worse. So listen, I'm all for tweaking these rules but I think we need to be honest about the fact that the last time we tweaked the rules, we created all these unforeseen problems that made the initial problem worse. 100%. But see, here's the thing. So small market versus big market. Right. That This is basically what we're hitting on. Right. With how the NBA is trending, is it even possible, you use the word parity, is that even possible at this point? By the time this pod reaches your eardrums, Gonzaga will either be the first national champion to go undefeated since Indiana 45 years ago, or Baylor will have pulled off the upset. Over the weekend, the Stanford women won their first title since the end of the George H.W. Bush administration, despite a mighty effort from Ari McDonald in Arizona. The MLB pulls the All-Star game out of Georgia, and Governor Kemp and the GOP are mad about it. May I suggest getting into lacrosse, guys? Plus, writer and performer and now director Trayvon Free joins us to talk about his powerful Oscar-nominated short, Two Distant Strangers. I'm Jason Concepcion. I'm Renee Montgomery. Welcome to Take Line. Let's go! Okay, so Jason, I want to start off by yes. talking about some big viewership numbers that came out of the college basketball tournament. Woo! And I ain't talking about the men, baby. That's <laughs> right. The women's basketball tournament, Real Talk, had some dominant increases in audience this year, despite my Huskies getting bounced out in the Uh-oh. final four. But, <laughs> but I digress either way. It was a big step for yeah. just the growth of sports with ABC covering some games. You saw the numbers just grow. And even, I mean, to the point where... I saw a lot of just my whole timeline. So sometimes Mm -hmm. when women's basketball is going on, women's basketball is going on, and then there's things happening on the timeline feed. My whole timeline at times was women's basketball. And so for me, (sighs) you love to see it. I could not agree more. And it just anecdotally, numbers aside, and the numbers are pretty impressive. The Elite Eight matchup between UConn and Baylor had 1.7 million average viewers on ESPN, which is a a 32% increase. Anecdotally, like, same thing. My entire timeline was just uh, the the women's tourney games that were going on. Uh, It was tremendously exciting. Uh, Stanford wins their first national championship 
since the end of the George H.W. Bush administration. Oh my goodness. I think it's been 27 years, actually. Yeah, like it was uh, an incredible run for them. They overcame what would, could only be described as like a heroic performance from Ari McDonald, uh, who entered like meme level uh, oh, yeah. appreciation this weekend. Oh, yeah. Put some respect yes. on McDonald, okay? Like, yeah, I, but what I loved about it was that's the thing. Stars that rose yeah. in the sense of, you know, in the men's game, we'll know pretty much every star on, on the men's side. Correct. But on the women's side, the coverage just isn't there usually. But now that it is, we get to know those faces. And may, yes, and I understand, we probably should have known them beforehand. I knew them beforehand, but I, when I say we, I mean us as an audience. Yes. And then there were some other crazy numbers. So this was the first year that ABC hosted the women's tournament. Well, you're welcome, ABC, because they had like a 129% increase. It was like Damn. something wild from 2019 Sweet 16 game. As we all know, that UConn matchup over Iowa. But really, Jason, I was just really excited to see that people are starting to just stop. Like, people used to be really corny and not even try to engage when the women's games were on right. because it was this whole thing about, oh, yeah, get in the kitchen. But now you can just, I can feel the tide is shifting and that people starting to understand, like, Okay, yeah, this is lit over here. Yes. And yes, my Huskies took an L. It hurt. When uh -oh. I started bleeding from my heart, I bled blue. Let, hold on. Before we get any deeper into this, let me clear out. Let's call an ISO for you. Oh, yeah, okay. Are you ready now to address yeah. UConn's loss in the tournament? I am. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, so... I talked about this quite often. And so when you are a player at UConn, once you put on the jersey and yeah. it says U-C-O-N-N, -N, UConn, 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 who? When it says that on the front of your jersey, <laughs> that comes with something. It doesn't matter if you are a freshman and have never been to the NCAA tournament. People see you wearing the UConn jersey and they're like, oh, yeah, you're automatically Goliath. No matter that you've never been there and there could be other teams that are more experienced, I'm not making excuses. I was just saying I know the players are young and I knew that it was going to be a hard tournament for them. Yeah. Like with COVID, the whole season, we're a young team. We dropped it. We dropped the game, you know, and 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 that's all credit to, to Arizona. Yes. And honestly, if we had to lose to someone, I love what Adia is doing over there. She's a mom. She's a mom. She was pumping at halftime, came out late for her game in the championship game because she is a working mom. Uh, Holly Rose said it best. Let's normalize working mothers. Yes. So I'll, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just say losing sucks and I don't like it, but I was happy to see what Arizona did. So, Oh yeah, I, it was tough. I don't lose well. So I know that I, I like boast about UConn a lot. So I had to come take this public L. So thank you for the ISO Jason. Let me say this. If I, got to the national championship game and in addition to that was like mm -hmm. raising a human life. Yeah. <laughs> I would never stop talking about it. I have a friend that's a, it's a, um, that is a doctor and uh, she's entering her residency now and uh, she delivers babies. She mm -hmm. has delivered babies all over the world in various programs um, that send doctors real life to, hero, yeah, real life hero. And I'm like, man, if I was you, I would never stop talking about this. I'd be like, so what'd you guys do this weekend? 
Oh, I, how about I held a human life in my hands? If I'm Coach Barnes, I'm like, what'd you guys do this weekend? <laughs> well, let's see. I went to the uh, national championship game, <laughs> and also uh, I held a human life in my hands. I nurtured it. I'm, yeah. I'm growing a human life that will go on past us and that will be part of uh, the human tribe. That's that's all I did this weekend. What, what about y'all? I don't know. I like literally. I watched the, I watched the game on TV and I like uh, I literally. <laughs> yes, Jason. I like. I, I love that you about get it. it. She even said she didn't even get any sleep the night before the championship game because she was getting pooped on, <laughs> threw up on. Like she is raising a child. So I just want to say that like. A lot of women I know are, I call them real life heroes because yeah. who does that? Who does that? I would, I would legitimately just talk about it all the time. I, I, what am I doing? I'm just like raising a human being. Oh, and, and, and my you know. team is in the national championship game. Sorry if that bothers y'all. Just call me Superwoman. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think this increase in the ratings uh, is because the women's college game is getting more conservative and is answering to the, to the appeals of, of quote unquote average Americans to be less woke and less cancel culture-y? I do not. <laughs> and I know what you're getting at. So yes. yes, I know that a lot of people thought if you go woke, right, you, go, you broke. Go, broke. go broke. I just want to read these numbers again. The Women's Sweet 16 had a 66% increase on average viewers. Right. The Yukon game. 129% for ABC, 11% in the semifinals, 32% increase. The numbers are up, baby. And so for all the people, and shouts to the Huskies, because I know that we're not we're not those type. I know that all my Huskies, we tuned in to the championship game. Even though we weren't in it, we saw Russell Wilson, quarterback for the Seahawks, cheer on his sister. We saw a lot of star power in there. I saw Asia Wilson in yes. the bubble. I think the Guma case. I saw a lot of star power in there, but it's up. So if you think that we're going to stop talking about things that, you know, are we going to stop talking about pumping milk at halftime? No, we're not. Are we going to stop talking about social justice causes? No, we're not because it affects our everyday life. That's and right. clearly... People are into it. So, Jason, thank you. You are throwing me alley-oops today. <laughs> you gave me an ISO today. Let me throw something back at you. What in the world happened on the men's side? Oh, my goodness. Were there gunshots on your side? <laughs> Were you see, like, what happened? What happened? No gunshots. Incredible game between Gonzaga and UCLA. I once, listen, I thought that Gonzaga has looked just unbelievable all tournament. They play yeah. An NBA-style game, inside, outside, they can kill you in a million different ways. Uh, UCLA maybe found a little something, or at least uh, the roadmap for a, a potential upset in the in the championship game. They just mucked things What's up. What's that? They just yep. mucked things up. They were active. They were physical. They were, uh, they were blitzing at the point of attack, and uh, they were right there until the end. It came down to a ridiculous shot. Let me just say, first of all, my God, Johnny Juzang, I am claiming him uh, oh, as, as Asian-American excellence. Half Vietnamese uh -huh. on his mom's side. I'm claiming him. Uh, the, him and Jaquez, it's like an inspiration to me. Uh, I love it. I, I just love watching them. Uh, my guy, Johnny, ran out of gas a little bit down the stretch. That's okay. It was just so fun to get on the UCLA train. And when he had that put back to tie it up, I'm like, oh, my God, we're going overtime. This is amazing. I can't like, let's let's do this. Uh, and then Jalen Suggs comes down, 
gets about two steps past the half court line and just banks in a three that as it was going in, I knew I was watching a play (laughs) that we will watch again and again and again forever. Instant classic. Instant classic. Yes. One of those all-time shots. And you know what? So the coaching staff, I was watching the the press conference afterwards, and the coaching staff was like, you know, honestly, Jalen makes those shots all the time in practice. So when they saw him get a good look, a lot of the team, like, they kind of felt confident. Like, for us as the fans, we looked at it as, like, almost a Hail Mary, two steps past half court. His teammates and his coaching staff was kind of like, Jalen does this on a regular. How crazy is that? He got it off clean, was gliding in the air into that jumper. Uh, it was it was absolutely shocking. Like I just said, I think I just said, wow. And I just stood <laughs> wow. there like absolutely shocked. Inc- incredible finish wow. of the game. Incredible finish of the game. And one more thing. We, obviously, this is coming out. Uh, by the time this comes out, uh, the, the men's champion will be crowned. It'll either be Gonzaga becoming the first unbeaten champion since... Yeah, Indiana University in, in 75-76, or it'll be Baylor uh, with an incredible upset in their three-headed uh, backcourt uh, really doing some things. But I just got to say, Drew Timmy, this guy yep. is going to be on the pro level, wherever he goes. He'll probably be like a early to mid-second round NBA pick. Wherever yeah. he ends up playing, whether it's the NBA, somewhere else, some other pro league, he's going to be one of the greatest trolls we've ever seen this guy I mean, the, the mustache uh caressing <laughs> the flexing all the stuff oh it's like my oh my gosh. god this, it, it, he's gonna be one of these like love to hate people who if he's on your team you're like great drew timmy love him if he's not you're just like this freaking guy i can't believe it and he man i think he embraces that uh, he absolutely loves it and embraces yeah. it and i'm gonna tell you down the stretch it was like somebody please stop this Stop these drop steps because he is slicing them up inside. He was just getting um, mismatches every time down the floor. They got the switch they wanted, and then it would just be like dribble, dribble. Good night. Drop step, laid in. It was like, oh, my God, this guy. Just like, please miss one. And, and he's done it all year, all year. You know, like that. you can't keep Gonzaga out of the paint. That's been the thing. Like, yeah. who can keep him out of there? Clearly no one, and he's pretty much the reason why. Yeah, unbelievable stuff. Another thing that happened in in basketball this week is J.J. Redick, now of the Dallas Mavericks, formerly of the New Orleans Pelicans, made some news uh, talking about his experience being traded. He heavily criticized uh, the Pelicans organization, saying, quote, I don't think you're going to get honesty from that front office, objectively speaking. Obviously, he did not honor his word. He's talking about... uh, Pelicans lead executive David Griffin, uh, JJ essentially saying that he had a verbal agreement to that if he was going to be traded, uh, the Pelicans were going to attempt to trade him to an Eastern Conference team. His family uh, lives in Brooklyn and that if not, they were going to buy him out. And then uh, he was not bought out. He was traded to the Mavericks without any kind of heads up. This is part of a broader conversation around uh, player empowerment and and what kind of uh, communication teams owe players when they are uprooting their lives and moving them around the league. This is also part of a conversation that is kind of like bubbled up around uh, small markets versus big markets, you know, the, the, the buyout market after the uh, 
trade deadline was popping with Andre Drummond moving, LaMarcus Aldridge moving. Um, Small market GMs have been quoted in various stories about how unfair this system is uh, and that there need to be some tweaks to this system. First of all, like you as a player who has been traded, what, what are your thoughts about this? Because like on the one hand, if a GM comes to you and says, hey, we're looking to trade you, yeah. theoretically, you could use that time to get on the horn with your agent and either kill the deal or change it, and maybe the whole system falls apart. On the other side, just lying to a person's face, if that is indeed what happened, and I'd have no reason to doubt JJ, like who's been an upstanding citizen throughout his entire NBA career, uh, is a just a bad look, just a poor look. Like what? what- 100%. So... I always talk about this because even me being a fan of the WNBA, me being a fan of the NBA, when trades happen, I always go, ooh, ooh, that's going to be a uh, – man, that team is stacked. Oh, yeah. that's going to go good to get – you know, like I already start to assess the player skill set and what they're adding to that team, even knowing that those situations for the players – and look, this is sports, so I get it. This is just a part of the sports business, but – Like, you are living in that city, submerged in that city, and then for you to just receive a telephone call and they'd be like, hey, yeah, you're getting traded, need you there in two days. I just don't know how people would react if their boss called them right now and was like, hey, we're relocating you to somewhere uh, across the United States. You need to be there in a couple days, figure out the rest as you go. I don't know how normal people would handle that, but that happens to athletes every year and so jj reddick you know he went on to talk about how you know he's in year 15 of his career and he's always attempted to do things the right way and so i know what he means by that because i'm the same like i always try to go about the proper channels do things the right way in hopes that things will be done the right way when it comes to me but it just doesn't work that way also you said about you can't really tell a player that you're looking to trade them because it's so hard i always around trade deadlines Like, players are always the most tense. I know that John Collins here in Atlanta, there was a lot of talk about him possibly getting traded. And then the day after he didn't get traded, he had a career number night, (laughs) like, in points. (laughs) Like, it was, like, almost like a – yes! And so for players, it's a really – like, I I don't want to use the word scary, but it is a scary time in a sense of – You don't know where you're going to go. You don't know who you're going to be with, where you're going to have to live. You have a family. We have families. And so when an organization kind of does you dirty in your mind, like it's it's unsettling because it's like, wow, you could have done better. And I think that's what his whole point was, like, do better. So JJ, in that podcast episode, that is The Old Man and the Three, um, listen to it. It's a, it's a great podcast and you get some great, great uh, perspective podcast. on um, just life as a, as a working athlete. He also uh, says, I'm paraphrasing now, he says something to the effect of, you know, my agents would think twice about working with them again. Now, uh, mm-hmm. as many as other people have pointed out, uh, notably uh, Brian Windhorst in his pod, uh, JJ's agents are uh, work for CAA. Uh Big time. If you don't know, that's big time. If you that's don't big, know. That's big time. That's big time. Zion Williamson is also with CAA. A clear shot across the bow at the organization. Now, one of the things that has happened in, you know, in the quote unquote player empowerment era is teams are very anxious about the way they are viewed because, uh, you know, being able to entice free agents is such a big part of the NBA landscape now. And if you get this reputation of being anti-player 
or, you know, in any kind of way, that can really hurt you going forward. Clearly, J.J. is uh, is trying to threaten the Pelicans in some way with the possibility that they could be viewed as anti-player, which, which brings us to buyouts and this whole player empowerment movement in the context of parity. It's So I went on a rant about this on uh, All Caps NBA last Friday because – Small market GMs are complaining about the buyout market. JJ wanted to be bought out. He wasn't, you know, in theory, if he was bought out, you would have seen him sign for the minimum, you know, somewhere for some contender, right? Um, right. So it's kind of inescapable to me that all the changes that have happened over the past several years in the NBA, the Supermax contract, which allows teams to pay uh, players if they hit certain uh, certain benchmarks like getting named to an all NBA team, a, a, a larger portion of their cap and to go over the cap in order yep. to pay them that, that all of these tweaks to the rules that have happened over the last several years have happened because small markets are pursuing this idea of parity. They want to be able to retain their players. They want a, a shot at the finals, just like the Lakers and everybody else and, and the Cavaliers or whatever team LeBron is on. And yet <laughs> all these changes all that they've done is made uh, teams sign players to contracts that end up being bad contracts. We're no closer to parity. And now when teams buy out players who have bad contracts and those uh, players then sign for somebody else, now all of a sudden that's a problem. It's like we haven't fixed the initial problem of parity and we've made it worse. So listen, I'm all for tweaking these rules but I think we need to be honest about the fact that the last time we tweaked the rules, we created all these unforeseen problems that made the initial problem worse. 100%. But see, here's the thing. So small market versus big market. Right. That This is basically what we're hitting on. Right. With how the NBA is trending, is it even possible, you use the word parity, is that even possible at this point I, I don't know. with I, the way the NBA is trending? I mean, think about how we already know there's some super teams out there. I right. mean, Brooklyn has just became yes. the megatrons of super teams. <laughs> and so everybody else is going to be trying to catch up with that. So you're going to see other players try to team up with other players that are their buddies that they want to play with. Is there any way to even get back? If there was ever parity before, I think there was some times where there were parity before in a sense of when LeBron James was in Cleveland, a sure. very small market. He's the biggest player in sure. on the planet. There's parity there because that small market has these huge names. Even a Kimball Walker, he not, he's not necessarily the biggest name in the world, but he was in Charlotte. There's some key players there, but can we – is there any – like, I don't even know if there's any going back at that's this a, point. That's a good uh, – uh, Kemba is a great point because uh, Charlotte could have signed him to a Supermax and they chose not to. And so then they yep. lost the player that they, exactly. that they wanted to keep. I think, you know, um, first of all, just back to LaMarcus and Andre Drummond for a moment, it's like 99% of the time – players who are bought out that then go to contenders don't move the needle at all. I think you could mark Eve Morris maybe is like the exception, but usually the, these oh, are yeah. players, they're on the buyout market because for one reason or another, they're not particularly effective players. Also the team with uh, that has acquired the most players off the buyout market is the Milwaukee Bucks. Nobody cared about that. Second is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Nobody cared about the buyout market until this year. I digress. I guess I, I would just say that I don't know that, 
parody has ever existed in the NBA. It, certainly since Bird and Magic. You know, Bird and Magic basically dominated the 80s, right? And then the Pistons uh, came in. They snuck out a, a couple of championships. Michael Jordan dominated the entire 90s. And the only reason people got to uh, get in there uh, is because he he left to go play baseball and the Rockets uh, were able to win a couple of championships. And then you had Kobe yeah. and Shaq, right? And then you entered basically our era, which is more of the same. Like a, a certain team dominates for a, a period of yeah, time. Yeah, but, but Jason, parody doesn't, like to me, like parody to me means can I beat you? So, like, even on those years, you're naming championship years. Yeah, like, for instance, the Warriors. Let's let's use them because they're the closest to, like, yes. a dominant team we've seen. And during those six years, there were maybe two years where we were like, no one is beating the yes, Golden but- State Warrior. Even the year where they won 73 games, we thought that that was the year that there was no one going to beat them. And that's the year that they actually got beat. So, for me... Parity doesn't necessarily mean, okay, the Celtics have 17 total championships, the Lakers have 16, the Bulls six, Spurs five. That doesn't mean that those teams couldn't get beaten. I think, to me, parity means that on any given night, someone can get knocked off. I think where we're going right now with the Brooklyn Nets is if they keep adding flames to the already <laughs> fire that they have started at a certain point, they're going to be unbeatable. And to me, that's when there's not parity when there's just a team out there that people cannot compete with. So to me, the answer, the only answer really is a hard cap, a hard salary cap. Right now that the NBA has a, a, a soft salary cap, there's a million different ways that teams can go in excess of the salary cap number. Yep. Uh, if yep. they go high enough above that number, uh, they have to pay a luxury tax. And in effect, what this has created is a rich get richer system in which teams like the Warriors who have deep pockets can just be like, fuck it, we'll pay the money. Um, yep. And teams that don't have that kind of uh, financial wherewithal simply can't. Now, um, a hard cap would make it so teams would have a lot of trouble signing more than one superstar. Therefore, you'd kind of disperse superstars across the league. And then uh, maybe you'd have a system in which any team on any given night could beat any other team. I think part of the real problem, especially with the NBA, is like unlike the NFL where there's you know, you look at the size of an NFL roster versus the size of an NBA roster. You look at how yeah. many players are on the on the field at any given time in an NFL uh, game versus how many players are on the court in an NBA game. One player can really move the needle in a significant way, in a way that is different from all the major sports except for pitchers in baseball, maybe. You know what I mean? Like uh, yep. Steph Curry just absolutely makes the Warriors one of the greatest offensive teams ever. And then when he's on the bench, they're literally one of the worst teams ever. Yeah, definitely. I don't know how you fix that. That's baked into the structure of the NBA that these players can just change the fortunes of their entire team. And so really, the answer needs to be some kind of solution that keeps them from pairing up and tripling up. But I don't know how you do that without a hard cap, which the NBA union will never agree to. And so what no, we're doing is all can't. these other solutions that thus far have just made it worse. Again, I've just made it worse. Let me ask you this though. Is parody good? In, like in the, okay, the NFL is the most popular sport in America, right? And they have, you know, since they instituted a, a different salary cap rules in the nineties, they've been a, a league that has had a lot of parody. Um, yeah. 
the NBA has not a lot of parity. Do you think that the NBA's popularity would increase if if they had something like an NFL model where it's like, hey, maybe the Bucks could win it this year, or hey, the Suns have just as good a chance of winning as as the Nets? You know, if if it was that kind of league where you just go into it going, okay, there's like instead of there being like maybe three favorites, there were like ten favorites. Nope, and let me tell you why. So you're a Knicks fan, right? Unfortunately, yes. So just because <laughs> they haven't won. Does that make you less of a Knicks fan? Absolutely not. So if you're a real fan, in my opinion, if you're a real fan, whether you win or not does not determine your fandom. And I feel very strongly about this. If you're only a fan when the team is winning, you are not a fan. You are a wave rider, a front runner. You're a bandwagoner. So I think that the hope that your team might one day win because it's been a 25-year drought and you're rooting for it, I think that almost increases the fandom. I think it almost gives storylines and plots. That's why there's always villains and always superheroes. Like, I feel like there there almost needs to be the good guy, the bad guy, all of the above. So kind of to that point, I, I would hope that fans that are fans of teams that haven't necessarily won a lot, you're just waiting on that one so you can erupt. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't think it would make it any more appealing to fans. I think that fans would just have more wins. Coming up next, we talk about MLB and its decision to pull the All-Star game out of the state of Georgia in response to SB202. Stay right here. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, The title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, And there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. If there's anything better than getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's, it's getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's for less in the McDonald's app. Delicious. Order in the McDonald's app today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right now, only in the app. Enjoy a breakfast sandwich for just $1, like a sausage McMuffin with egg. Offer valid one time per day from 429 to 512 24 at participating McDonald's. Must opt into rewards. Last week, after uh, some pressure, the MLB officially announced it would be pulling its all-star game and the Major League Baseball draft out of the city of Atlanta in response to the new voting laws enacted there, SB202. Part of the statement from MLB read, quote, Major League Baseball fundamentally supports voting rights for all Americans and opposes restrictions to the ballot box. Renee, last week we discussed how the response to SB202 can't just be, you know, having discussions about having discussions, uh, it's nice to see some actual action here. Yeah, the MLB was about that action. And yeah. and the problem is 
for the city of Atlanta, that's a big boost to the economy. So while yeah. the MLB moved the All-Star game out of Atlanta and we get why I support why they moved it. It's also tough because that could have been a big boost to the economy. We all know with COVID and everything being shut down, that would have helped. But again, we knew that the MLB had to do something, basically. What we were talking about last week was you can't just have conversations about having conversations. Right. You got to be about that action. MLB showed that they're about that action. And so, you know, it didn't help also that our Georgia governor just kept doubling down, oh 10 toes gosh. down and, and just like, you know, there's one thing to maybe be salty, but it's like the salt was just dripping all on the floor. It was everywhere. You could feel how upset the governor was, but it's gone now. The game is gone. We got to do better. Do better, Georgia. So uh, Brian Kemp said in part in a statement you know, flanked by uh, various Georgia government officials. He said, quote, today, Major League Baseball caved to fear, political opportunism, and liberal lies. I will not back down. Georgians will not be bullied. We will continue to stand up for secure, accessible, fair elections. Now, I'll say this, like pulling the All-Star game, it is on the one hand, it's an exhibition game. It's kind of like the lowest bar for them to clear to do something. On the other hand, this is an extremely conservative sport. Um, You know, recently a broadcaster was caught on air uh, saying homophobic slurs. Uh, Young Latino players who make up a, a good portion of the league are often criticized for being too flashy for the bat flips. Uh, this is a sport that has had uh, only a handful of black managers in its history and that only, I think, yep. less than 8% of, of the players are black. This is down from uh, an all-time high of like almost 20% uh, 30 years ago. 70% of the fans are men 55 and over, uh, mostly white. So this is a conservative sport. So this is a big deal. This is a big a deal really big that deal. they that they did this and bucked – you know, a good portion of their fan base uh, in order to do it. This is a really big deal. And for the reasons you said, but also because the Braves didn't even come out and make a statement. Right. You know, right. like the, the Falcons made a statement. United made a statement. Atlanta Dream, y'all better know where we stand. But we <laughs> yeah. also were the first ones. That's we right. were the first ones to make a statement from the sports teams here in Atlanta. Shouts to Susan A. Bear, who's the president of our team. But I think it's a big deal because our own team didn't even make a statement yet. They still pulled the game. And so I just hope people, you know, LeBron James tweeted proud to call myself a part of the MLB family today um, at more than a vote. There were a lot of people that chimed in because while me being a Georgian and then the fact that the governor said that, Georgians will not be bullied. I felt like I was getting bullied by SB202. So stop bullying us. Yes, I like that. Let's let's, you know, just briefly, uh, obviously, we talked about this uh, SB202 last week and and, um, there's been a lot of coverage of it on on various crooked shows. But part of what it does is it adds new identification requirements for absentee voting, limits the use of drop boxes, grants more authority for the legislature, um, which basically, uh, you know, takes the certification authority away from the Georgia uh, 
Secretary of State. It made it a misdemeanor for groups to drop off water and food to voters that would be waiting in line. And all of this, I think it kind of like a, a thing that's been lost a little bit in all of this is it would have been a really, really bad look to have the All-Star Game there in Georgia and to honor the late Hank Aaron Hank Aaron at yeah. that game as MLB certainly wanted to do while SB202 is being enacted in that state. That would have looked bad. Really that would have been wild. Uh, you know, another thing is, so I know a lot of people know this, but that was like my whole outreach. Like I yeah. was bringing food and water to the groups. And so when I saw that bill, I was really confused. They're talking about how the bill helps expand voter. Um, yeah. out. Why would me bringing food and water be a detriment to voters? So that's why when we ha- when we say things like, Make it make sense. Certain things don't make sense. Why is that even in there? It's irrelevant. Yes. It's pointless. But it's something that we know that 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 has been seen. We were throwing parties. I'm yep. not going to lie. We were throwing parties because we had to wait so long. And so now, because the lines were lit, you know, if you had to wait in line, it was lit. There was music. There was food. There was drinks. They didn't like that because we they was going like to stand and wait. They didn't and like we was going to listen to our music and we was going to have a good time. And so then you can just see what the bill is trying to get at for people that don't understand. Well, who is that targeting? It's targeting certain demographics, right. having to have multiple forms of ID. A lot of people don't have that. Yeah. If you're sitting there thinking, oh, that's easy. I could use my passport and my driver's license. A lot of people don't have multiple forms of ID. Maybe you do. Not everyone does. So things that you may look at that may just be a line item that you just skip past, like, okay, no food and water. Okay, two forms of ID. Okay, those things affect people. They affect having how long the polls are open. That's right. That affects people if they're working a normal nine to five. Making it harder for people who can't get off work to arrive at the polls and to cast their vote. To Maybe you can get off of work. I have to keep saying it because when people read these things, they're like, oh, so what's the big deal about that? Yes, maybe you can call off of work. Maybe your job allows it. Some people, their jobs don't allow it. They don't have that luxury. So when you start to limit more and more things or have more and more requirements, now you're limiting the amount of people that can actually vote. Or maybe people are like, oh, that's too much work. Now I'm not going to do it. That's voter suppression, if you just don't understand what that is. So uh, the Republican responses to uh, MLB pulling out, as well as uh, statements made by Delta and Coca-Cola, have uh, been bubbling up Delta, on social we media. Delta, we back, baby! Have <laughs> been bubbling up on social media and elsewhere. And now that brings us to a segment we are calling Sad, Mad, or Bad, in which we will rate the Republican responses to the MLB pullout. First up, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Here is his quote. Today, Major League Baseball came to fear political opportunism and liberal lies. Is Governor Brian Kemp sad, mad, or is he just bad at this? I think he's big mad. <laughs> I, I think that mad. everything about this, this, that I will not back down. Ooh, this is not about you. This it's is about, about Georgia, I thought. Yeah, I I a hundred percent agree with you. Brian Kemp in that statement also uh, name checks Stacey Abram, uh, and he quite clearly wants to uh, tie this to Stacey, the mother of democracy. 
which tells me he's mad. And that's bullying. I'm just throwing it out there. That's bullying. You're calling out people. That's Let's right. go to Rand Paul. Oh. Let's see what he had to say. <laughs> if needing to show an ID to vote is racist, perhaps New York Yankees tickets that average over $100 are discriminatory. Will woke at MLB mandate free tickets to all equal access? Come on, Jason. Is I, this I, sad, I, mad, or bad? I'm going to say this is bad because I don't even know what he's getting at here. Like, Not this, a clue. This makes no logical sense. It barely makes any grammatical sense. Like, it's so... I... What? How do you tie Who's buying tickets that are over a hundred anyway? We all just get the cheapest tickets and just have a blast in the stadium. This sounds like an elitist problem. I'm going with bad. I, I, it's incredible. Let's find out what Clay Travis has to say. Oh, great. The, the vast great. majority of sports fans don't want sports to be political. But at some point, you have to fight back to prevent sports from being captured by the tiny subset of woke sports fans. We are finally seeing that happen. What is this, Jason? This is actually sad because Clay Travis here is trying to spin a defeat for him, Major League Baseball, pulling out of Georgia as somehow a victory for, quote, the vast, vast majority of sports fans who don't want sports to be political. I don't know how many times that we got to say it. It's like... Uh, people who say sports uh, shouldn't be political also always seem to ignore the fighter jets that fly over the arena and the 200 foot flag and the and all the various other the presidents throwing out the first pitch again and again and again. What about you? Uh, is Clay Travis sad, mad or bad here? I'm going with bad because if you don't even know you lost, that's pretty bad. What about uh, his outkick? A colleague, former ESPN talking head, Will Kane, quote, if Georgia is Jim Crow 2.0, what does that make New York where MLB is headquartered? I What? Is this sad, mad, or bad? What is it? I I don't don't even know. know. I don't understand. I think this one's sad, mad, and bad. I think this one, this one might get in all of the above. What do you think? Again, this just kind of shows you the the bankruptcy of this line of of thought. There are so many issues that are going on in this country that uh, Republicans and Republican commentators could could talk about. But this is the thing they want to talk about. And not only is it their chosen battleground, they have absolutely nothing coherent to say about it. I agree with you. It is all of the above. Sad, mad and bad. Hold on. Hold on. We got a good one. This is the former NYPD police commissioner, Bernie. That's my police. That's your commissioner. The former one. He said it's official. No more Coca-Cola products in my house. It's either Pepsi or iced tea. The iced tea took me out. Until Coca-Cola stops cowering to Marxist BLM, the radical left, attempting to eradicate the U.S. Constitution. I don't want it. Jason, what you got for that? Uh, what do you got go, for your peoples? Well, I need a, I need a clarification from former <laughs> NYPD police commissioner Bernie Carrick when he says products in my house. Is he referring to uh, the apartment 
downtown near ground zero that was donated to the city as a resting spot for recovery uh, workers that he then used as a location to meet with his mistress, Judith Regan, who was the publisher of his memoir. Does he mean that home or does he mean the apartment that he used a mob controlled construction firm to renovate while lying to city investigators that that same firm had no criminal ties. I should add that Bernie Carrick uh, spent about three years uh, in prison and then later uh, served five months home confinement uh, because of various charges about this. So I guess I'm going to withhold my judgment until I uh, I get some clarification from Bernie about what he means by my house. Bernie... Bernie Jason just sipped your iced tea. My goodness. Let him have it, Jason. <laughs> what about you? Steven what do you think? Bad or bad? What do you have for Bernie? Uh, it's bad. Look, Jason, I, I'm still stuck on the tea that you just <laughs> was sipping all over the place. I don't even care what he said anymore. I'm all, I didn't even know all the things that you just said. Yours was not none of the above. Yours was happy. Stephen Miller said with his decision to engage an ugly, angry, divisive, and vengeful partisan politics based on a web of outright lies. Commissioner Manfred has betrayed not only the fans of baseball, but the sport itself. There's a lot of other, you know, he keeps on going on, sad, Mm. mad, what is he, bad, what is it? I think Stephen Miller, uh, a true goblin in American politics, is big mad. He's big mad, it's unfortunate. Sorry, Stephen. What do you think? Sad man around. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think there's big man. You know, there's that in between. If you put a little too little, you're sad. But he went on almost a whole rant, a soliloquy. That means, yeah, you big mad. Well, that has done it for this inaugural segment. Sad man or bad? Coming up next. I love this game, Jason. I you're love a it genius. too. Coming up next, Trayvon Free joins us to talk about his new film, Two Distant Strangers, and he'll also join us on the Take Island to play some Take. Survivor, stay with us. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best.
me ask you something. What would you do if somebody was trying to kill you every day? I would try to kill them back. Want to use my gun? What? No. Wait, you, you got a gun? I'm a black woman in America. Damn right I got a gun. Oh, you and your Jackie Brown shit. <laughs> That's cute. Well, I am a Libra, so I'm very diplomatic. I guess if I didn't want to shoot a nigga, I would just, you know, talk to him. That was a clip from the Oscar-nominated short film Two Distant Strangers. The film stars Joey Badass as Carter James, a black man just trying to get home to his dog, but who is instead forced to relive the same deadly day over and over. And we are super excited because the writer and director of this film is joining us now. He is an Emmy Award-winning writer, a former McDonald's Top 100 basketball prospect. Hey! But more importantly, now an Oscar-nominated director... Two Distant Strangers will be released by Netflix on April 9th. Trayvon Free, welcome to Takeline. Thank you for joining us. So awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys for having me, man. It's good to see you again, Jason. Uh, it's good to see you again. Nice to meet you, Renee, for the first time. Nice to meet you too, Trayvon. <laughs> uh, so take us through the uh, genesis of this film and the process of getting it made. Yeah, so, you know, last summer we were all, you know, watching the world react to what happened to George Floyd. And, mm -hmm. you know, being here in L.A., it was the first opportunity to actually, you know, go outside and do something since we'd all been on lockdown. And um, I immediately grabbed my camera and went out to the marches and the protests. And, um, you know, over the course of the, like, first couple weeks of, of being out there, and as you start to hear more names, you start to learn more names, and then we're also lit like looking at what happened to Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey at the oh. same time. Um, I kind of had this, you know, this thought to myself of like, as Black people, when you, when you hear about a new story and you learn all the details of it and you process, you go through the cycle of processing the emotions around that story, you kind of go through the same cycle every single time where you start out angry and then you're sad and then you're hopeless, you feel hopelessness because it keeps happening. And then you you get to a point where as you commune with enough Black people and enough people who care about doing something, you get hopeful again. And that was kind of the thing I found myself repeatedly going through. And it kind of put me in the mindset of, you know, I remember saying to uh, Zaria, who plays Perry in the movie, like my girlfriend, um, you know, this feels like the worst version of Groundhog's Day ever, like reliving yeah. this cycle. And, and so when that thought occurred to me, I, I was like, I feel like there might be some way of visualizing that feeling. Um, and I just kind of started trying to put the pieces together. I told my co-director, Martin Desmond Rowe, about the idea. He had a, a short film that was nominated for an Oscar in 2012. And he immediately took to the idea. And, you know, we just kind of, set out to try to make it. We we initially didn't, I wanted to make it last year. He yeah. was like, great, so we'll do it next year. <laughs> and and I was like, no, 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 we're gonna do we should do it now because like this is about right now. And then I him knowing the mechanics of what it takes to make a movie in a non-pandemic. Yeah. We're thinking like how how on earth could we could we do this? But we just we decided we were doing it, and we immediately, I wrote the script in five days. We sent the script out wow. to wow. everyone who we knew would, you know, had money, 
cared about the issues, could give us money quickly uh, if they if they wanted to support the film. And that's how like people were reading the script and it just grew and grew and people were, were, were helping us make the movie. And so by the end of August, we'd had most of the money we needed to shoot it. And uh, it was like miracle after miracle. We dodged so many bullets because at the time we were making, writing the movie and trying to, and in quote unquote pre-production, SAG wasn't still giving out permits to shoot anything. Mm. So wow. there was no guarantee that we were even going to be able to make the movie. Um, and so around early September, that opened up for like a small window of time <laughs> where people thought things were going to change. And we nailed that window. We made the movie. We shot it in five days in September. Wow. And um, right after we finished shooting, they they stopped giving out permits and they shut everything back down. So it was like every moment felt like this was supposed to happen. This was supposed to be made because we just dodged every bullet that came our way in terms of what could have got us, you know, shut down or set back. And with all the COVID protocols, we shot the movie and not a single person got sick. And, you know, if one person had gotten sick because we were a short with no insurance, it would yeah. have, we would have essentially set all that money on fire. We would have been done. And that would have been the end of it. Wow, that's crazy. So yeah, that was kind of like the journey of last summer. We we shot it end of September. We edited all of October. And by mid-November, we had a finished film. So you talked about, you just started reaching out to a lot of people with money. Well, a lot of people with money answered. Sean Combs <laughs> is a producer on the film. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Durant, Mike Conley. Yeah. I mean, there's some big names, Van Lathan, Jesse yeah. Williams. Yep. You had an array of people behind you because the story, I believe, because the story is that compelling. But for me, what it is for me is you started as a hooper playing in college, and now yeah. you're this talented Hollywood, <laughs> multidimensional person. What was that transition like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when I was still, you know, in college and playing and I had knee surgery and I knew like basketball was not going to be a, a lifelong career for me, it was, I found myself in a place of trying to figure out, you know, what was going to happen next. And, you know, back in, in high school, in 11th grade, my English teacher, Julianne Beebe, she like pulled me aside after class one day and she was like, you're a really good writer you should pay attention to this skill that you have. Like you should think about doing something with it and nurturing it. And so at the time, I never thought of myself as a writer in that way. I just mm -hmm. always got good grades on papers because you had to have good grades to play sports. Like that was the way it went. And, yep. um, but I just so happened to be unknowingly to myself, pretty good at, at writing naturally. And so once I got to college and I was playing sports, I wasn't really, doing anything with it in terms of my my degree or anything but when I when I had my red shirt year I started taking film classes and and uh and comedy there was a comedy class at my, at my university and um I all my professors were like this is this is something you should be do like this is what you should be doing like you should be focusing on yeah. this as as a career path and so I was like, well, I'm not playing basketball anymore, so let's see what happens. And so I started doing stand-up and I kept writing. And when I graduated, I just chased that new dream. And after about, you know, five years or so, like I got I got hired at the Daily Show five years after I graduated. And wow. it just it just kept going, kept going. It was there was definitely a period where I was broke as hell and struggling <laughs> and trying 
to figure out. But like, that time has long gone. <laughs> you got yourself a hit. It is. It is I'm, I'm very happy that it's behind me and I, I'm grateful for it and everything it taught me. <laughs> but I'm loving this side. <laughs> and now directing is a next step in your career. Um, this movie, as you noted, uh, it is like the most nightmarish version of Groundhog Day. Um, how did you manage the set that day and the people on set when part of the schedule included like these these really uh, gut-wrenching scenes of yeah. uh, police violence? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, there's no easy way to put it. It was, it was hard. I remember we had, we had a day of rehearsals before we actually shot so that Andrew and Joey could get, you know, acquainted with each other physically. And that we had mm. stunt. The cops are actually stuntmen. They're real stuntmen. Mm. And so they worked with Joey and Andrew to learn the the mechanics of the dance. Like if you watch it closely, mm-hmm. you'll notice it's 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 choreography. It's the grab of the bag, the turn to the wall, the pull this way, the swing around to to the grab, the falling on the floor. Like it's all choreographed. It's it's really brilliant. Like watching them come up with it and do it. And um, so no one would get hurt. But because they do it so well and because, you know, Joey really sells it so well, even watching it in rehearsal with no camera, you just feel it, man. You just feel it because you're you're hearing uh, the dialogue. You're hearing the improvised dialogue. You're watching Joey like fight for his life. And you've seen it so many times. And so... I remember tearing up that first rehearsal after watching that first run through and just being like, fuck, like this is so, it's, it's, it feels so much more real than I thought it would in, in restaging it for a movie. And so once we actually got to set and we were doing it, it became like, you know, everyone on set respected what we were doing mm-hmm. and everyone was so so good about making sure Joey was okay, Andrew was okay, uh, both emotionally and physically. And and just, you know, there was no, when we shot those scenes, it was just pin drop quiet. Like everyone yeah. was just focused, yeah. no matter, from every department, like everyone was just focused. And when we would yell cut, like everyone would, there wasn't any laughing or joking or talking. It was like the same kind of quietness as we reset to do it again. And... But what I think what drove people was knowing why we were doing it, because the movie is not just about those scenes. The movie right. is about the 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 hope that Joey leaves you with at the end of the story, the resilience he demonstrates as a black man who won't give up on fighting for his life. And yeah. knowing that that's where we're going, that's why we're doing this. I think it allowed, it made it uh, a little bit easier for people. But in the, in that moment, it was it was difficult to watch because, you know, to their credit, they're doing it so well and you're seeing it in the monitor and yeah. it looks so, so real. And like you see Joey commit to that that first time he dies to the point where like his mouth is on the ground. Like yeah. he's fully committed to that to that scene in a way that, that sells it so hard. And I was just like, man, it was one of those things where when the take is over, you're like, that was incredible, but also like horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did you land on Joey being the lead of this film? I mean, you talked about clearly he bought all the way in. I, I mean, those scenes that you just described, I can picture them as you're saying them because they were that vivid, his face on the ground. Yeah. I've seen that. So 
Like, how how did you choose him? How was he casted? So in early August, I, I wrote the movie the last week of July, like July 25th through like 30th or whatever that five-day period was. And because we knew we had this tight window to potentially make the movie, and it's the middle of a pandemic, I'm, I don't even know where to get an actor from at this point. Like, right. I just know we need someone, if we're going to get someone, we need someone who can do it, who can do it well. And so James Samuel, who just finished directing The Heart of They Fall for Netflix, which the it's the all-Black Western starring Regina King and Idris Elba and Keith Stanfield, that will blow you guys' mind in a couple months. Um he auditioned Joey for that movie, for a role in that movie. And Joey couldn't do it because of the power commitment, the show he's filming, uh, the power reboot. And he was like, you need Joey Badass. He's like, Joey will, 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 will kill this. And I was like, James, I don't know Joey Badass. <laughs> I have no <laughs> connection to Joey Badass whatsoever. I think he's a, a great actor. I've seen him act on Mr. Robot. I love Mr. Robot. And all yeah. the other stuff I've seen him in, and, and I think he's a, an, a, an incredible rapper. And he goes, I'll call you back. And then he calls me back on three-way FaceTime with Joey. And whatever he said to Joey in the period of time that he... <laughs> How long uh, was that time period when he called you back? How long did it take? It was like 10 minutes. Oh, my God. Wow. And he called back with Joey on three-way. And I don't know what he told him, but he was like, I'm in. And I was like... Okay. Uh, oh, crazy. Like, you, he hadn't even read the he script. He probably told him the script. No, he probably told him what the script was about. You don't have to tell people much more than like just the synopsis. And it's like, oh, yeah, I get it. I'm down. So I, I can understand how that happens. Yeah, no, he was he was like, yo, like James like told me it was up. I'm, I'm down to do it. And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> and yeah. so I sent him the script that day. And then at like two in the morning, he texts me like, yo, this is amazing. I've been trying to, this is exactly the kind of stuff I want to do. Like, I'm, I can't wait to do this. And two weeks later, he was in LA. And we were like going through, like just read-throughs and rehearsals and everything else to to make the movie. It was it was incredibly fast, man. It was, and we were so Unreal. lucky. <laughs> Listening to that, I can't help but, but think about like the importance of, of relationships in any career and especially a career like yours. You talked about some of the breaks and some of the important things that happened that got you to this, this place. But, you know, like I, I would imagine people listening to this thinking, I would love to do what, what Trayvon does or somehow get into, you know, be able to express myself in that way. Speak if you can to, to like the importance of managing relationships and how do you, uh, you know, trying to open doors for people in that way like how, how important is that and how do you how do you do it as a person uh, coming in through a kind of like non-traditional career path as like yourself yeah I mean I think it's one of the most important lessons I learned over the course of this and I kind of was doing it inadvertently and it just so happened to be a, a good thing to be doing which is you know as you as you meet people in this business, depending on what element of it you want to participate in or you want to chase, it's important to, one, be nice to everyone you meet because you don't know who they are, who they know, and one day they might be in a position to give you a job. And not to be nice only for that reason, right. just be nice. Like, just yeah. don't be an asshole. And be a good person. Just yeah, be, be a, a good, good person. person. It, Simply. I can't. <laughs> 
I can't tell you how far it goes. Like I know so many showrunners. I know so many showrunners who say, I will take the good, really nice writer over the amazing asshole. Like any day of the week. Like they would much rather work with a writer who's good and who will be pleasant in their writer's room for 20 weeks than someone who is a complete nightmare but is one of the best writers they might have ever read in their life because it's just Mm. not worth it like you got to spend 20 weeks with that person it's just not worth it and so it also you know as you meet people people will recommend you for things oh I like Jason he's really cool I hung out with him and I met him at the improv and he didn't ask me for anything he didn't seem like he was there to like social climb he was just hanging out and like do like it's those kind of things where like so many people told me when I got to the more successful side of my career, like, you know, I I liked hanging out with you when I was meeting the old, like the, the more veteran people because it never felt like he wanted anything from me. And even though I know these people can give me jobs and can change my life, it's just the element of like believing that it'll happen when it's supposed to and just working on your stuff, like being ready when the call comes yes. yeah. because it will come. And so- it- but how many times is the question, but it will come at least once. And if you're ready for it, you can change your life. But if I know there are a lot of people in LA, especially who are chasing the opportunities and the social climbing, but then if somebody does say, okay, well, what, what do you have for me to read? They're like, oh, like, right. uh, uh, let me, let me get back to you in two weeks. I don't have two weeks. <laughs> like yeah. I, I might yeah. have, I might have today for an hour to read your script. And then I'm off shooting something for three months. Like you, you just never know what can yeah. happen in that window. And so I think it's preparation and just being a good person can go yeah. so far in this business. And you don't even have to try to quote unquote collect friends or people. People will just remember you and exactly. want to be around you because there's so many people who aren't that. Like you, yeah. you run into so many people who are the opposite and you remember the ones who you're like, oh, I feel less tense when I'm around this person, or I feel less like slimy or Hollywoody when I'm around this particular person. And I'm telling you, it goes, it goes such a long way, such a long way. Trayvon Free. He has filmed Two Distant Strangers, is nominated for an Oscar. It's available on Netflix April 9th. I've seen it. It's amazing. amazing. Go watch it. Another thing that's amazing is your shoe collection, but I'm just going to leave it there, Trayvon. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us on Take Line. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Welcome to Take Survivor, the show where only the strongest take wins. We have four players in every round. One of them gets voted off. Today we have joining us, writer, director of Two Distant Strangers, Trayvon Free. Trayvon, how are you today? I'm great, man. I'm trying to survive some takes. <laughs> we have trying to survive. two-time WNBA champion, Ray Montgomery. Renee, how are you? We in the building! What's <laughs> goody? <laughs> we have joining us again with the worst takes in history, Elijah Code. Elijah, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, Jason. I'm excited to play to win today. And our producer, Zuri Irvin. Zuri, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I hope we all have fun and uh, made the best take win. Let's just all have fun. <laughs> Here we go. Round one, your prompt. 
of the four EGOT awards, the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, and the Tony, which which is the most prestigious of the EGOT awards? We will start with you, Elijah Cohn. Jason, the most prestigious is the Tony because it is the most fun to say if you win. Look, as an Italian-American, I'm walking around my house. I see my Emmy. I see my Grammy. I see my Oscar. <laughs> and I see my Tony. I walk into the room. I see it on the mantle. I say, hey, look at this fucking guy up there. Also, Twitter doesn't <laughs> watch prestige plays, so there's never going to be a controversy around it if you win. But the reason I want the Tony is so I can say hi to my Tony every day. Oh, my God. Well, Elijah Cohen uh, with a hate crime against Italian-Americans. Uh <laughs> Let's go to you, Renee. Renee, what's the most prestigious of the EGOT Awards? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Grammy because, and I usually don't even give real answers, so this is different. I'm going with the Grammy because not everyone can sing. And so if you sing and you get a Grammy, it's the most prestigious. Also, to piggyback off of Elijah's terrible answer, (laughs) everyone knows your Grammy. The Grammy is the best. Who doesn't like grandmas and Grammys? Elijah, what's wrong with you? Who raised him? Wolves. I'm going with Grammy every time. Shouts to the Gram. Instagram. Shouts to the Gram. There's a lot of things you could play on when it comes to Grammy, but if you can't Woo. sing, you can't get a Gram. Renee Montgomery <laughs> with the Grammy. Zuri Irvin. Zuri, what is the most prestigious of the EGOT Awards? Shout out to my grandma, but the most prestigious award is the Emmys. Uh, the Emmys are the only awards on this list that have a daytime version. There's no daytime Tonys. There's no afternoon Oscars. They need. It's so prestigious, they need to... Second point, there's 16 EGOT winners. The only one is won the Emmy first, and that's Mel Brooks in 1967. So it's Shouts to Mel. Shouts to Mel. It's an old man's game. If you don't like it, then you're an ageist. Last point, <laughs> um, Green Book won an Oscar. Null and Void, we are not counting the Oscars in this competition. Zuri Irvin with the heat. Now, Oscar-nominated director Trayvon Free. Trayvon, uh, what is the most prestigious of the EGOT Awards? I mean, it's definitely the Oscar. It's not even a contest. I mean, first of all, you know why there's no daytime Oscars? Because it's prestigious. You don't need a daytime award for a prestigious award. You need, there's one. You get one shot. You get one shot. And you know know who doesn't have an Emmy? The Wire. So the Emmys in that regard are not holding up their weight in this category. It's obviously the most prestigious award is the, is the Academy Award. It's tall, it's beautiful, it's it's golden brown like me. And so in that regard, I, it, it's it's an obvious answer. It's the Oscars. And even though I, I think it's the second hardest of the group to win behind the Tony, um, it, it is most definitely the most prestigious. I mean, just throw in Google how much your income increases after you win an Oscar. And, and uh, that... Uh, that 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 happens for a reason. <laughs> Trayvon Free says the Oscars. Hey, where's the time rap, man? He had too long. I'm just saying. What's up? <laughs> Let's go to voting. And now our contestants will vote to see who is ejected from the island. Will it be Elijah? who put on a Tony Soprano voice asking uh, about the Gabagool (laughs) in order to say that it is the Tonys that is the most prestigious. Will it be uh, Renee Montgomery who says the Grammys? The Grammys is the most prestigious. Zuri Irvin with the Emmys and then Trayvon Free. Oscar-nominated director Trayvon Free says the Oscars. Who will it be? The votes are coming in. 
We are voting to see who will be eliminated. I have my guesses who will be voted off. But, <laughs> but we will see. We have one vote for Elijah Cohn. There's one vote hey. for Elijah Cohn. <laughs> oh. Hey, forget about it, Elijah says. <laughs> Another vote coming in. We have one vote for Zuri Irvin. One vote for Elijah. One vote for Zuri. We are tied up. Two votes now for Zuri Irvin. Two votes to one, Zuri. And now the final vote coming in. This could swing the round. And the final vote is for our first contestant voted out of Take Survivor, Zuri Irvin. Zuri, who said the Emmys. Zuri, what do you have to say? Well, you know, I think everyone who voted against me tacitly supports the green book so you know <laughs> put that on your shoulders but you know i want to end on a, on a respectful note it was an honor just to be nominated and uh enjoy the game <laughs> and now we move on without zuri into our second round our second round prompt what can we do to fix baseball various uh things are being tried at the triple a level including robot umpires things of that nature, a shot clock on pitchers. How do we fix baseball and the games that seem to run for five hours and more? We're going to go to Elijah Cohn first. Elijah, how do we fix baseball? Jason, if you've been on the internet in the last 10 years, you've seen the viral video of Doc Ellis taking LSD and (laughs) throwing a no-hitter. I love where this is going. And so my pitch is that at least one player on each team should take a hit of LSD before every baseball okay. game. We could do it oh Russian roulette God. style where there's eight pieces of paper that are blank and there's one uh, hit that goes out. Uh, it gives a whole new definition to the word designated hitter. It's a compelling subplot about an hour into the game to see who starts acting kind of crazy out there. I think it would just be an electric thing to add to a summer afternoon. Lucy on the mound on acid, <laughs> Elijah Cohn says. Ray Montgomery, we'll go to you. How do we fix baseball? How do we tweak this game? How do we improve it for the 21st century? Oh, my goodness. This is so easy. Obviously, you have to play dizzy bat before every person hits the ball. So whoever's up to bat, throw around 10 times. Let them line it up and see if anybody can hit it. Whoever even gets a crack at the ball with a real-life MLB pitcher, I think that there's going to be a different type of scoring here. If you actually get the home base, I think you got to take a shot. Let's just kind of turn it into a drinking game. I've seen it work in college. It can work in the pros. Get rid of the DH. Add the DB, the Disney. I love it. And now uh, Trayvon. Trayvon, how do we fix baseball? I mean, this is easy to me. I've been a big champion of this solution for many years. It's obviously legalized steroids because (laughs) I, when you look at some of these guys, you know, if I pay all this money to go to a game for five hours, I want to see the ball go to the moon. Yes, to the moon. I want. I want windshields broken in the parking lot. I, I, I need to see, I want the ball to explode. I, I want guys to be able to barely run to the to the base because their legs are so oh big. Trayvon Free says, let them juice, baby. And now we go to our voting. Contestants may vote. Just a reminder, Zuri Irvin remains on the jury. He will be voting as well. Will he be voting to eject Elijah Cohn, who says, follow the lead of Doc Ellis. Let him drop acid. 
<laughs> Two tabs on the tongue, and let's see if they can go seven innings. Will it be Renee Montgomery voted off? She says, put that forehead on the bat, spin it round and round, and let's play Dizzy you Bat. You know people see. would watch that. I don't want to hear it. And let's see what happens. Can they make contact with Major League Speed after playing the Dizzy Bat? And then Trayvon Free, who says, folks, give him the cream, give him the clear. Give him the antler juice, all of it. I want to see that ball leave the atmosphere. Let him juice. The votes are tabulated. I'm nervous. And we have one vote for Renee Montgomery and Dizzy Bat. Next vote coming in. We have one vote for Elijah Cohn, who has an incredible back-to-back answer in rounds one and two. Stand by him. One Renee one Elijah. I'm nervous. We have another vote for Elijah Cohn. It is two votes Elijah. Yes! One vote Renee. Last vote coming. Third <laughs> and final vote for Elijah Cohn. Yes! Who is ejected from the island. Elijah, what do you have to say? Take your acid and run. <laughs> I just want to answer Renee's question before Italian-Americans uh, ratio me to hell on Twitter and cancel me. I was raised by the DeMarcos. I was raised by the Capaccios. That's my family from New Jersey right there. Thanks so I just want to say it's all love. I'm happy to play. Just happy that baseball's back. Thanks for having me. Elijah, forget about it. And now we go to our finals. Uh, just a reminder, in our finals, the jury will be voting for who wins. And the last question, the final question in this Take Survivor is, would parody be good for the NBA? Many people are upset that it seems like wherever LeBron James goes, that team dominates. The Lakers, are they going to win again? Oh, my God. Now uh, big players are going to the Brooklyn Nets. And it seems like we just know who's going to win the finals every single year. Would it be a better league if every team, like in the NFL, had a chance to win every year? Would parody be good in the NBA? Renee Montgomery, you go first. Would parody be good in the NBA? Of course I'm not going to give a normal answer. It's not going to be good. There needs to be pecking orders. That's how sports works. If the New York Knicks weren't in the league, then what would we do to laugh at all the fans like you, Jason? You. It would not it would not be as fun if I could if we couldn't make fun of the teams that we knew were just going to lose. And then on the other side of it, there has to be dynasties. There has to be a prestige. There has to be those teams that build up the league because that's how leagues get built. If everyone was always even and equal, people probably wouldn't be as interested. People like to watch Goliath go down. It's in the Bible. There's David and Goliath. If there was all Davids, there wouldn't even be a parable. You have to understand that March Madness, what's so special about that? The number 16 team beating the number one. Everybody roots for the underdog. Of course, we know parody is not what people want, even if they say they do. Renee Montgomery says emphatically no while uh, hitting me with numerous strays <laughs> in the chest. Trayvon Free is parody in the NBA. Good. I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to give you a good example why. If you happen to be a Formula One fan, you watched the Bahrain uh, Grand Prix last weekend, and you watched Lewis Hamilton in a slower car still win the Mm -hmm. race, even after they found ways to make the cars more competitive, and you saw one of the most exciting finishes 
in a Formula One race we've seen in a very long time. And you saw the best driver in the sport and probably the best driver ever be tested with a car that was slower and tires that were older and still <laughs> beat the young gun in the Red Bull car because it didn't matter. He's just better. And parity allows people like LeBron and these big guys to, to prove that even on a more level playing field, they are dominating athletes. They are the best of the best. And I think as exciting as that was to watch, it will be equally exciting to not watch the Brooklyn Nets become the Monstars. Trayvon Free says yes to parody. Take that, Mario Andretti. Get your bad opinions out of here, Mario. And now we go to the final voting round. Reminder, uh, our contestants who were rejected in the earlier rounds remain on the jury. They will vote to see who is the winner. Who is the winner? You are voting for the winner. Will it be Renee Montgomery? He says no. Rich got to stay rich and the poor got to stay poor when it comes to the NBA. Oh, wow. There's got to be a pecking order. People (laughs) love dynasties. Will it be Trayvon Free who says, yes, yes, let's even it up. Look at the look at the way Formula One has has run things. Uh, There would be I think some people who are anti Mercedes Benz might might have some things to say about that. But (laughs) maybe that's going too deep into the Formula One hive. An exciting final round. The votes are coming in now. Who will be our winner? We have one vote for Renee Montgomery to win Take Survivor. We have one <laughs> vote for Trayvon. The tie. Okay. <laughs> no votes coming in. We have two votes for Trayvon. <laughs> final vote. It is two votes to one. And we have a tie. Wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is what happens when you get two athletes on here like this. I will break the tie, and I am going to Uh-oh. rule in favor of our guest, Trayvon Free. Uh, Trayvon. I should have never came at the Knicks. That had nothing to do with it. Let me be clear. It had nothing to do with it. I am an impartial judge. This is my <laughs> Uh, Trayvon, congratulations on your win. Uh, What do you have to say? You know, I just want to say it was uh, an honor to be here and to have such (laughs) a very strong competitor in Renee. See, there's like a very narrow gap between us because that makes it more fun and exciting. And (laughs) I take take my win and um, I thank you for it. Well, I hope it builds into momentum for another win uh, in the coming weeks. Trayvon, thank you for joining us. And thank Thank you you for listening to Take Survivor. What a perfect ending. All right, time has run out on our episode today, but here is our final shots for our buzzer beaters where we drop in some stories that were hot on but didn't get to get in the show. Renee, I hear our friends at Delta State reached out to you. Oh, my goodness. Jason, Delta State reached out to me to give me a piece of their mind in the nicest way possible because they started out. I'm just going to read it. They say, hi, love your new podcast. Shouts to take long. And then they they said, it's only six and a half hours from Atlanta to Cleveland, Mississippi, home of Delta State University and its unofficial mascot, the Fighting Okra. We would love to have you come visit us. We're also the home of Coach Margaret Wade, and they go on to talk about legends and the basketball. But then they sent me a photo of the fighting okra just to let me know 
they are not the worst mascot in sports. So I have to remember that when we play these games, real people can be harmed. So I would like yeah. to say that this is strictly for fun. Delta State, I really might come one day because I like okra. Even though I was talking Delicious. about okra, I was just trying to win the game. I get really competitive and I get really into it. And when that happens, I just black out and I go for the win. I love fighting okra. I love you, Delta State. Oh, by the way, as another buzzer beater, shouts to my sister. She got married this weekend and in a COVID-compliant backyard wedding. Shay short in the bin, but Jason, Jason, yes. Jason, Jason, Jason. Uh, there's a big game tonight, That's right? right. Uh, right. I'm just going to, what are your thoughts on that big game tonight? Well, my thought on the big game tonight, and of course, uh, the results will be known by the time this uh, reaches people's ears. And I'm not talking about the Baylor Bears versus the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I'm talking about Knicks <laughs> versus Nets. The oh, Battle God. of New York City. Julius Randle about to handle his business. R.J. Barrett about to do some things. Welcome to the <laughs> club. John Henson recently signed to a 10-day contract. Nick's all the way. Gonna win the battle of New York City. And that's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Stitcher, on Spotify, yeah. on iHeart. Yeah. Wherever you get your podcast. Follow the show on Twitter and at YouTube at TakeLine Show for exclusive video clips from episodes. Watch my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Yes, sir. Check it out. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. TakeLine is a crooked media production show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.